0: We welcome you to the media ministry of Denton Bible Church. Uh, I had someone new teach in one of the classes that I do on Sunday morning, this morning at 8 o'clock, and uh, the guy that I always have, a friend of mine always have, to open the, 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 the Sunday school meeting that we have with prayer and announcements and things. He said, "And hey, we've got a great speaker this morning. So it merely made me feel good, you know, that I've it's been there about 10 years, but we've got a great one this morning, and he was great. In fact, that's what the message is tonight about. It's about what is true greatness. You realize that in the world we're living today, all the definitions have changed. You can look up uh, the, the meanings of some words in the dictionary, and they don't apply the same that they used to. From generation to generation, some words mean something totally different. And so, when we ask the question, what would we call great? I've read a book recently that was written by a man named Rick Rigsby, a very effective communicator. And the book was, was Lessons from a Third Grade Dropout. And it tells of a very successful man who was, uh, th- this is a very successful man that's talking about it, who was well educated, a sought after speaker, travels around the world. And he says the greatest man he ever knew was his dad. A third grade dropout that lived a life of integrity and honesty, hard work with excellence, and had a servant's heart. And the whole book is about a third grade dropout and how great a man this man was. It didn't have to do with what the definition the world would give in many cases. When we talk of greatness, what do we think of today? Come on, give me some answers. What does the world say is great? Who's great? Rich people, it has to do with the amount uh, about money, yes. Okay, what else? Celebrity. Celebrities, athletes, yes. Uh, successful people, people that have done things that we remember. Uh, it could be warriors, it could be uh, uh, authors, preachers. I went to Dallas Theological Seminary, some of you here, and, and I heard professors say this a lot. They said, uh, you can tell a Dallas man, but you can't tell him very much. And that was just kind of the attitude of a lot of times. Uh, greatness, we, we think about preachers, our speakers, our builders, architects that have done these wonderful uh, buildings and creations. Musicians, uh, we have many, many people, very skilled and gifted, and I'm thankful for the guys and gals that we have here. Uh, leaders of all different kinds, and we call them great. We study about them in our history books, and we build monuments, or we used to build monuments to them. But uh, we, we call those things great. And the Bible does tell us to give honor where honors due, And I'm all about that. We need to remember our past, look forward to the future, but we need to give honor where honors due. But I want to give you an example of what the Scripture tells us that uh, when Jesus talks about greatness, uh, the model of Jesus is a widow with two mites, the smallest amount of coins, little children, and unnamed servants. Did you catch that? When Jesus talks about greatness, who is the greatest human that ever lived, I believe Jesus was the strongest man that ever lived. I don't, Not muscles, not physique, but the strongest man in every other way. Uh, he was the greatest. He's the king of all kings. And that'll be written on him when he returns back and executes the wrath of Almighty God. But the greatest of all time said, I tell you, really is great. It's that woman that gave all she had. It's that little child. It is that one that you don't even know their name, but I tell you what they have done will be spoken throughout the kingdom for all generations. We're going to look tonight in one of the most drastic, and I'm going to use an illustration. I'll probably get emails, you know, on this. I don't mean to, to use, I'm going to draw your attention to something. One of the most drastic illustrations of missing the point. Of missing the point. Have you ever been there before? Uh, the, the circumstance around you is laser focused. There's no doubt you need to focus in on this. Someone is just—it would be like you getting a message on your phone right now, and one of your loved ones is in trouble. I mentioned that last week or, or another time. You—you you drastically need to address that situation. Nothing else is going to matter. You know, it's not going to matter who's winning a basketball game or who's winning the Olympics right now, and it's not going to matter. Um, You know, about your job and different things, because it is a situation that's very, very close and very dear to you. It's what you ought to be focused on. We're going to see in this passage true greatness. We've had some celebrities throughout history. Do you remember something that called themselves the greatest? I'm the greatest. I don't stand in judgment of them. I want them all to know Jesus. I want them all to be saved. But I do know one who continually called himself, I'm the greatest. I'm the greatest. I'm the greatest. And he got to where he could not even form a sentence. And he couldn't stand up without tremoring always. Is God able to humble us? Yes. Uh, The Bible gives us a command, humble yourself. There's two different things about that. Either we'll do it or he'll do it for us. Humble yourself, therefore, into the mighty hand of God. But those who don't do that uh, volitionally, there'll be a day when every knee is going to bow and every tongue will confess. So we'll either do it willingly in obedience and honor to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, or He'll make us do that one day. But I want to tell you, even in our churches, even in seminaries, we, we put a lot of on. But He was a great teacher, He was a great preacher. What a great book that is! I just told you about a book that I read. And we ascribe greatness to a lot of different things. It's usually something that everyone can't do. It's an uncommon ability to do something well. Uh, Just Friday night, we had a a, um, young lady here, the friend of our family, and she did a concert right here in this room where you're sitting. And oh my goodness, her voice is just incredible. She had a great voice. And we put that word on there. And yet I look at the scripture and... I don't see Jesus saying, man, I want you to meet my great apostle Peter. Just don't find that. That woman that broke an alabaster box of ointment and uh, spread it out over Jesus and anointed her his feet for burial and wiped his feet with her hair and, and her tears. Jesus said, I tell you, this is great. This is great. So look with me. Mark chapter 10 that Jordan read to us part of that. What is true greatness? This passage re- reveals a bold example of... Uh, let, me, let, let me say this also. Our children today have been taught... And I'm not on an axe-wielding crusader against uh, education. Uh, I've got family members in education right now. It's a, tough, it's a tough gig. It really is. But for a couple generations now, uh, young people have been taught, take care of yourself. Live your best life now, even in church. It's all about me. It's myself and I, the three people I love the best. Have you ever heard that? Uh, To love yourself, to pamper yourself, to reward yourself. You deserve it. Every commercial on television. Buy this product, it will do this for you because you're worthy of it. You deserve it. That's not the way that it's always been. Many societies, and certainly here in America, Well, we were raised in a different atmosphere. We were raised to seek the wealth of others. When I read that in the version of the Bible, I thought, did I read that right, to seek their wealth? That doesn't mean you want their money. It means you want them to do well in Christ. You want them to succeed. Now, at the age that I am right now, I truly, and I've visited with some of my friends about this recently, one of the greatest fulfillments I have in my life right now it's to watch you succeed. I would love to be in the closet looking out and see people I've prayed with and encouraged and loved. And, and I want to tell you again, you young adults, uh, those of you who helped us with that event, by the way, last Friday, you are awesome. No group of people, no ministry, Logan, in all of Denton Bible has helped us for the last 12 years any more than your crew, the young adults. So, but I want to tell you, you are, you are valuable. You are important. You are vital for the life of the church. You may be here and say, it was so long ago that I was a young adult, I can't even remember what it was like. You are so valuable still to the church. It's the world that puts age limits on things. It's the world that puts generation gaps. Walk with me through this example the model that Jesus gives in Mark chapter 10. Look at verse 32. They were on the road. Everybody says, all right, road trip. I hear that all the time in the summertime. You want to go on a road trip? Always, let me give you a clue. When one of your friends says you want to go on a road trip, get some information before you say yes. It might not be a road trip you want to go on. And guess where this road trip was? Jerusalem. This wouldn't have been a road trip. That you would want to sign up for. They were on the road going up to Jerusalem. You know why it says going up? Because you literally go up to Jerusalem. Uh, There are seven mountains around that city. But you also, you travel up. And those of you who have been in Israel before, if you can't, I'll say like a professor at seminary did. It is God's will for you to be there. You don't have to worry about whether or not God wants you to go. It is God's will for you to go visit Israel. Now I realize many can't. But when you do, you're on that tour bus And you start singing as that tour bus ascends that highway. Oh, Jerusalem. And it's a beautiful song. You go up to Jerusalem. Jesus on the road, going up to Jerusalem, Jesus was walking ahead of them. And I'm not trying to read anything there, but as Tommy preached on this a while back, they were probably in a very narrow path. I'm from West Texas. Uh, Kim right here works with cattle all the time, and cattle are much like people. When they go to the tank to drink or they go to the feed to, to eat, they often walk in the same path. And so you might have brush over here, weeds grown up, trees grown up, but they walk in a path. A lot of animals do that, and probably where Jesus is walking right here is a narrow path. So it wouldn't be like... 12 apostles and Jesus are coming down like high noon in the movie, you know. Da, 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 da. And the music behind them probably walking in a path. And I'm not trying to read anything in here, but notice what it says Jesus was walking on ahead of them. And I want to tell you, that's the way it's always supposed to be. Jesus didn't call his apostles and then later on the church and you and me to say, I want to follow you. You're doing so great. I want to follow you and where you're going and what you're doing. Now, we do that. We follow our children. We follow our grandchildren. We follow news about those that we care about. But Jesus is the one that we're supposed to be following. Would you agree? He said, follow me. And this is a perfect example of what should happen in our life. Jesus ought to be out there ahead of us. Do you remember when the Ark of the Covenant in the Old Testament was coming home? It had been in the enemy's camp. And... Uh, When the enemies tried to steal the presence, the symbol of the presence of God, they got these tumors all through their body. And they say, here, you take it. You know, like that old game we used to play, hot potato. I don't want it. You take it. You take it to your house. No, everybody got sick at the last place it was. Finally, the ark of God is coming home. And they had been instructed, you make sure the ark stays out ahead of you. 2,000 cubits. Make sure the ark, the symbol of the presence of God, is in front. That's good theology. You and I are called to follow Jesus. He'll guide us, He'll lead us. We've got to look toward Him and make sure He's in front of us. Two things happened. them following Jesus. They were on the road going up to Jerusalem. Jesus was walking on ahead of them, and they were amazed, and those who followed were fearful. I want to promise you something. If you walk with Jesus very long, there are going to be days you are amazed. And that's a wonderful thing. You just are amazed at Almighty God and our Savior and what He does. There's going to be some days when you're fearful. Why would they have been fearful that day? Because they're going to Jerusalem not for a birthday party. Not for a vacation. They're going there for the Messiah to die. As we follow Jesus, I told a person today, there's, or yesterday, there's no other life to have. Some have said, well, you've gone through this, and you've gone through this, and that happened to you. And in the ministry, you had this. And I tell you, all of those things pale just to be able to walk with Jesus. There's no other life better than following Jesus our Lord. They were amazed, and those who followed him were, were fearful. And again he took the twelve aside and began to tell them what was going to happen to him. Guys, this is uh, this is calling the family in. Have you had that call lately? Uh so-and-so is ill, there's been an accident. Uh, Something, crisis has hit your family, call the family in. And that's what Jesus is doing. He's calling the family in. He's got to give them grave, serious news. He took the 12 aside and began to tell them what was going to happen to him, saying, Behold, we're going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered to the chief priests and the scribes. They will condemn him to death. We'll hand him over to the Gentiles. They will mock him and spit on him, scourge him and kill him, and three days later he will rise again. Really not the message the disciples wished they would have heard, I'm sure. Uh, You and I want good news, don't we? We want good news. I want to hear some good things. I listen to a radio station early in the morning driving into the office, and, and it has a, Tell me something good. You remember that song? They always have a good, positive story. And I I wait for it because I want to hear some good news. We get enough of the other kind. But here Jesus tells them notice the things he said the Son of Man, how humble Jesus is. He is the Lord of glory, He is the King of all kings. He is, the, he is God himself, very God of very God. He is an ET, an extraterrestrial that had come down from heaven to be with lowly human beings. Jesus deserves all the honor and glory. He's the greatest of all time. And he calls himself the Son of Man. You want to be great? Be humble. Be humble. He says the Son of Man is going to be delivered, condemned, This man who never sinned, going to be condemned, arrested, mocked, spit on, scourged, and killed. Have you ever in your life had any of those things happen to you? He's going to be delivered. That means given over to a mob, given over to the bad guys, condemned, falsely accused of guilt and sin and error as being a lawbreaker, arrested, some of you want us to want to tell us about all your uh, time in jail. I know you do. I can see it on your faces right now. We'll do that at another time or after the church service, but arrested, mocked, made fun of. Now, if you're, if you're a brother or sister, you got big brothers and little brothers, that doesn't count. That doesn't count. One time we would, we would drive a, a bus and pick all kinds of children up on Tuesday nights and our ladies would teach them a craft and fix a nice food and, and men would come and we would, we would all teach them Bible and they were children from everything. Now there are grown people that come up to me, put their arms around me, these great big men. I don't even know who they are. And they say, thank you. And I say, for what? I was on Tuesday night with the children. And I say, you thank Jesus. But I remember one time, somebody screamed, oh, no, uh, Freddie is is choking Rachel. Freddie's choking Rachel. And the man ran back there on the bus and said, who was doing it? Freddie was choking Rachel. He said, ah, that's his brother and sister. That doesn't count. We were going to stop it if it was somebody else. But have you been made fun of? Our daughter came home from high school a lot of years ago, and she said, Dad, everybody is talking about how homosexuality is not wrong. I've got friends, and when I said, no, the Bible says, they all walked away from me. They left me. And I sat down with the Bible, and I talked to her about what God's Word says, and I said, you know, you don't have to defend me. I can't remember the exact words. You don't have to defend me. You don't have to defend your reputation as a Spencer. But I tell you what, Jesus is worth suffering for. And if they all leave you, Jesus will never leave you. God brought some of those friends back to her. But I tell you what, uh, it's not fun to be mocked, not fun to be made fun of. Spit on. Wow. I don't know too many people that could handle that. Scourged. When the Romans or even the Jews did this, but mainly the Romans, when they would whip someone, they literally would tie pieces of, of uh, shards, rock, different types of sharp things, And when that that soldier would whip them, it would literally grab into the flesh and tear the flesh off the back. You could only only whip someone so many times because uh, they would lose their life and you can't go beyond that 39 times. And Jesus said he's going to be killed. Now, wait a minute. I just told you that this man we're talking about is the greatest of all time. He is the one that deserves all the trophies. He's the one that gets all the glory and all the praise. And there's nobody that even compares to him. And this is what happened to him. Now, when I think of this story, these events and these words that he just said to the disciples, if I was sitting there, I would go, oh. This is that phone call. Someone's been in an automobile accident. You need to get to the hospital. This is that phone call your son or daughter's in trouble Come help them. This is that phone call that's beyond anything. Jesus turns to his disciples and he says, guys, I'm going to die. What would be the reaction? What should be the reaction of the people that love Jesus the most? Oh, wait a minute, Jesus. How can I help you? What can I do for you? Can we stop this? Is there any way that it could be any other way? Jesus, tell us more. Show us what to do. We need your, oh, Jesus, we're so sorry. Shouldn't that be the reaction? They've just gotten news like they never dreamed to get. That the only one who had never lied, the only one who had never cheated, the only one who had never harmed another soul, the only one who lived righteously, never disobeyed his mom or dad. Can you imagine that? The only one ever is saying, they're going to come do all this to me. I don't deserve it, but they're going to actually kill me. If you have an ounce of compassion, and I know all you folks do, wouldn't you have reached out and said, Jesus, I'm here for you. Whatever it takes. I'll do anything. Verse 35. James and John, the two sons of Zebedee, came up to Jesus saying, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. Now, How in the world could that statement come next? Jesus has just said, guys, I'm going to die. They're going to beat me and they're going to scourge me and they're going to mock me and spit on me and I'm going to be killed on a Roman cross. I'm going to rise again, but I'm going to be killed. What would you have done? Oh, you're talking about crying. There would have been... Meaningful, sorrowful. Uh, what's that song "Cry Ugly?" There been some ugly crying at that time right there. Jesus, no, tell us it's not true. I'll do anything. What can I do for you? But that's not the case. These apostles are fallen, broken human beings that need a whole lot of work. The first thing the scripture records they did after that, James and John, two faithful apostles, but they come and say, hey, Jesus, we want you to do something for us. Isn't that just like the world we live in today? So-and-so is in great need. They're hungry. A child's in trouble. Oh, that's too bad. Hey, make sure we've got uh, the meal ready for us and make sure our vacation plans are ready. And, and uh, how about that loan at the bank and... and We're living in a society, and it was that way too. It's all about me. It's all about us. We are our own God in many cases. And that's all Satan wanted in the beginning. That's what he wanted Adam and Eve to do, is to be like God. You be your own God. Did you know he doesn't care what you do? As long as it's not what God wants you to do. He doesn't care. You don't have to follow this criteria. You have to do this, 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 and you'll be a servant of the devil. No, just don't do what God wants you to do. Anything God says... Do the opposite. That's all he wants. And he wants to steal everything that's good from you. He wants to kill you. And he wants to destroy you, your relationships, everything that is good about you. I am blown away by that right there. The news that was delivered to Jesus, his innermost circle of followers... Wouldn't they be shocked and frightened and confused and and have a thousand questions? Jesus, we've got to ask you. Sympathetic to Jesus, wanting to love him and serve him and be focused on him? It was all about Jesus at that moment, but it's not. Hey, Jesus, we want you to do something for us. Now, if it would have been me, (laughs) my temptation would have been, I can't believe you guys. I've just told you some of the most drastic news that's ever been pronounced on this planet and all you care about is getting something done for you. Think about it. What's true greatness? Jesus is compassionate. Wow. Verse 35, James and John, the two sons of Zebedee, came to Jesus saying, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. Sounds just like a lot of churches today. I want God to do what I ask him to do. It's like a genie in a bottle or a slot machine put in your quarter. All of heaven, it's me. I've got a request. I claim it. I want it. And therefore, I'm going to receive it. That's a bunch of baloney. Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. Instead of asking Jesus about, what do you mean you're going to rise from the dead? They didn't know what that meant. About all of his sufferings and about what they could do for him and what are they going to do without him? Lord, what, if you're going to be killed, what are we going to do without you? Give us some instructions. We need that. It was, we want you to do something for us. The church believers ought to be about seeking other people's blessings, answers to their prayers, healing, or how others could know a wonderful life. The people that are in this room right now, guys, we should never let one person in this room get out of that door, unless they want to. We don't bombard them. We should never let them get out the door without shaking their hand, saying, man, we're glad you're smiling it might make the difference in their lives. Somebody did that for you, didn't they? Yeah, somebody did that for you. I believe we as a society and we as a world have become so selfish. We have cared about ourselves so much and we want our life to be so comfortable. We want our children to get this and we want our everything. And that's just not true greatness. Verse 36 He said to them, this is an amazing statement. He could have ridiculed them, condemned them. He could have lashed out at them, but our God's so patient. Jesus is so caring. I want you to look at this phrase with me. He said, what do you want me to do for you? Now, the way to study that phrase right there is to change the inflection for every word. Let me give you an example. Say it like this. What do you want me to do for you? What do you want You want me to do for you? What do you want me to do for you? What do you want me to do for you? What do you want me to do for you? What do you want me to do for you? What do you want me to do for you? What do you want me to do for you? Or what do you want me to do for you? Isn't that interesting? You can put the emphasis on every word in that phrase, and it reveals how powerful that phrase. That phrase is going to come up next week, by the way, in the story of blind Bartimaeus, one of my favorite, favorite verses in all the scripture. But Jesus said, what do you want me to do for you? That guy dying on the cross next to Jesus, you remember that day? Jesus didn't have to ask him, what do you want me to do for you? He said, Lord, remember me when you come in your kingdom. He knew what he needed, and we ought to be asking the same way. What do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Grant, now, any of you have been through college or you're getting through college? We've got somebody just graduated. Way to go, young man. That's awesome. My kids have graduated through college, but I have a link to their college that will be there for many years to come. It's called a student loan. And it, uh, being in their college will be in cahoots for a long time, believe me, until that's over with. But they said grant. If you've been in college lately, you know the difference in a grant and a loan. <laughs> a loan is something you have to pay back with interest, and it come, they don't miss that. They don't forget that loan payment, but a grant is something you get given to you. They want something given to you. We live in a world today. We want everything given to us. And we ought to help each other. I'm not against that at all. The church ought to be the example. We shouldn't want our government to help people in need. It ought to be the church helping everybody in need. But they said, Grant, we want something. They could have said, Grant, that you don't have to go to the cross. Wouldn't that have been good? Grant that you won't die. You won't get beaten. Grant that that you'll stay with us and build the church here on this earth. Grant, they could have asked all those things. But they're so inwardly uh, focused. It says, Grant, give me, give me, give me. I just don't, I don't know how they could be asking for something at this time. I'm going to use this example. And please don't email me. You guys, thank you for you that are listening online. It, but, it, but it's almost something drastic like, well, uh, Mrs. Lincoln, other than that, how was the play? I heard someone say that one time, and I thought, how inappropriate that is. But that's what they're doing. Other than that, Jesus, Calvary, scourging and and condemning, spitting, punishing, uh, how's it going to be in Jerusalem this week? Sometimes we need a little jolt, don't we? We need waking you up. And I'm just amazed. Grant, we want to ask you something, Jesus. Give me, give me, give me. Now, what they're going to ask is not a bad thing. Grant that we may sit, one on your right and one on your left, in your glory. I love that. They want to be close to Jesus. That's awesome. It's just not a real good time to ask that. We want to be close to you, Jesus. James and John, the sons of Zebedee. Zebedee, was they're called the sons of thunder. Uh, my dad was a big, gruff man growing up and had three boys. And and uh, most of us, well, my older brother wasn't. I'll, I'll back up what I'm about to say. But, but my, myself and my younger brother were more uh, kind of calm natured than my dad was. But my dad was pretty, pretty forceful. So we called him, uh, let me just be real truthful with you. He said words that are not real appropriate sometime at the job site. Can I say that? I went to work with him before my college in that summer there. And I got an education before I went to college, if you know what I mean. But my mama wouldn't let him talk like that in the house. So in saying bad words in the house, instead of saying that, he'd say thunder. I named a pickup one time, thunder. We were the sons of thunder. And James and John are saying, Grant that we might sit on your right hand and your left in your glory. There's an important key here. There's nothing wrong with wanting to be close to Jesus. And if he would have granted that to James and John, it would have been awesome. But I want to tell you what would have happened. If he would have said, okay, John, you're on my right. James, you're on your left. They'd have started arguing about which one was on the right, which was on the left. I guarantee you they would have, just like we do. We're not satisfied. We, would, we don't have to have any reason to argue. But Jesus says to them, you do not know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup? He's talking about suffering. That I drink or to be baptized with a baptism. He's talking about death that I will be baptized with. They said to him, we are able. You remember that old hymn? We are able to be crucified with you. Jesus said to them, well, this cup that I drink, you shall drink. James and John, you are going to suffer. You are going to suffer greatly for the kingdom of God and for my sake. All the apostles were tortured and killed. Some people say, well, John the apostle escaped. He died of old age. Do you know, though, they boiled the apostle John in hot oil? He just didn't die. So John didn't get a pass, believe me. He suffered greatly. God just let him live. And I think that's an awesome thing that he did. You will drink the same drink, and you should be baptized with the baptism, which I'm baptized. But to sit on my right hand or my left, that is not mine to give, but it's for those for whom it has been prepared. If anybody, this is a message for another day, but if anybody wants to learn about election or you wonder about election, This is one of the great passages. It is God who chooses who's going to be there. Well, I have decided to follow Jesus. Good song, bad theology. If God didn't decide for us first, we wouldn't be saved. We don't find Jesus. I found Jesus. No, he wasn't lost. And he finds us. But he says to them, I can't give you that. That's for whoever God's prepared. But look at verse 41. Hearing this... Now, they should have focused on Jesus. What can we do for you? Uh, Jesus had been like that. He's the one that washed, will wash their feet. And he's the one that was humble. and He was the one they should have put everything, Jesus' wants, ahead of everything else and seek to help him in every way. Uh, we honored Vonnie George this last Friday night in the church. Vonnie has been a faithful servant to lead DBC Cares for about 11 years. She has tirelessly with hundreds and hundreds of meals, doctor's appointments, surgeries, uh, widow visits, widow care, cancer uh, ministries. She led, has led DBC Care. She's had seven, 65 volunteers at one time, many of you probably here. She's just been so faithful. And we honored to give honor where honor is due the other night. And Vonnie is a hero to me. You Young people say she's a rock star. Uh, My son came home one day when he was in college and he said, Oh, Miss Miss Bowes, she's a beast. And I looked at him and I said, Son, what in the world did you call? That's a counselor in school and I went to school with her. What did you call her that for? And they had to calm me down a little bit and say, That's a good thing, Dad. It's a good thing. Vonnie has been selfless, giving to other people. She hadn't asked for a thing for herself in 11 years, taking care of her family, taking care of the church, taking care of everything through illnesses and struggles. And when the world says, you're great if you have this award, you're great if you made this movie, you're great if you score this many points, you are great if you can sing like this or you built this building, God's word says, I tell you, these are great that you probably won't even remember their name. The little children the unnamed servants, the widows. I tell you, these are the ones that are great. We've got a different definition. Verse 41, hearing this, the ten began to feel indignant with James and John. Here they go, and they're all jealous. Well, who do James and John think that they are? They're not thinking about Jesus either. Calling them to himself, Jesus said to them, You know that those who are recognized as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. And their great men exercise authority over them. And this is what the world then and today would call great. Military leaders, political leaders, sometimes in the church. He says, you know that's what the Gentiles do. But he said in verse 43, look closely. But it is not this way among you. And church, we ought to be a shining example of exactly the opposite of what the world does in many cases. Now, when the world does something good, call it good. But when the world does something bad, we ought to say, not here and not now. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord in the New Testament. Those people in the church that seem to be less honorable, Jesus said through Paul, he raised them up and made them more honorable. We ought to be a shining example. We ought to not even pay attention to how old someone is or what their qualifications are. Paul, in one of the letters to the church, he laid out his resume. Have you done a resume lately? Aren't those so much fun? He just laid out his resume, Pharisee of Pharisees yep, I've been this. He, it would be like an all-American guy. Just, and when he got through that resume at the bottom, you know, you always want something at the first that'll be a hook, get their attention at the bottom, something that'll seal the deal. And at the bottom of that, he said, and all these things I count as, one version says dung. You know what that is? That is common barred yard manure. All of these great things I've done and these accomplishments and my education and my citations and my awards, I tell you what, it is like common barnyard manure in comparison to knowing Jesus Christ my Lord and the fellowship of his sufferings. I tell you, that's great. I've seen some single women that have worked harder than any men i know to care for their children going without food so their children can have something they need that's great and the church ought to call it great i've seen some men maybe not with the the iq of someone else and maybe been laughed at spit upon in their lifetime too and discounted maybe as a half-wit, but they are the most faithful people in church. You give them a job to do, and it will get done. In fact, you don't get in their way. You don't do their job. They're going to do it. I tell you, that's great in God's sight. The 10 began to feel indignant with James and John. They're jealous of what they asked. Calling them to himself, Jesus said to them, you know that those who are recognized, rulers of the Gentiles, lorded over them. Act better than everybody else. They're great men, exercise authority of them, but it is not this way with you. And church, pastors, teachers, leaders, we do not need to lift ourselves up as though we're better than somebody else. There is no varsity and junior varsity in God's church, there's not a higher way and higher people. If you really want to say who one of the greatest church people are, you pick those people that the rest of the world wouldn't pick. That's what Jesus is saying. It's not this way among you. We are not to imitate the unbelieving society. We're to imitate Christ and let them see. But whoever wishes to become great, I love this. Now, guys, let's be honest. We don't start out this way. We don't start out humble, thinking about others all the time. Logan, when you first got saved, were you thinking about everybody else in the world? Probably not. (laughs) We don't start out that way, but the more we grow in Jesus, the more we think about him and we think about everybody else. Which is the greatest commandment they asked Jesus one day because they were going to say, I know all 10 of them. Jesus said, "I tell you to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. The second one's like it: love your neighbors, yourself. Upon those two commandments, all the law and the prophet hangs on. On that's the best commandment. It's nothing about education, how much money you have, how much charisma you have, how much, how attractive you are, or what abilities and capabilities that we have. Have you followed Jesus?" I get to do funerals all the time. Do you notice how I said that? I get to do funerals all the time. It's not about that person. They're already, their eternal destiny is already decided. But I get to honor Christ for what he's done in Christian's lives. And it's an awesome privilege. It's not this way among you. Whoever wishes to be great among you shall be your, what's that next word? servant and whoever wishes to be first among you shall be what is that word slave of all i'll be nobody's slave ever hear a lot about that don't we well i want to tell you i'm a slave i'm not i'm not discrediting anything around the world america has uh has failed greatly but other countries around the world have failed terribly in that that manner but i want to tell you i'm a slave And I'm not ashamed, for I was bought with a price. And I want to glorify God in my life and in my body because I do not own myself. Christ owns me. And a slave is not only commanded to do what the master says, a slave is owned by that master. And Jesus, the thing about him is when we become a slave to him, he sets us free. He sets us free from all our sin and our bondage and the things that would... Hold on to us. Keep us from being what we should be. You want to be great, he says? You be servant of all. Be a slave of all. Well, I don't want to serve them because you know how they live and what they do. And you know what they talk like and you know what they They don't deserve that. That's kind of like a wife that says, God, I don't want to be submissive to my husband because he doesn't deserve it. The husband says, I don't want to lay down my life for my my wife because she doesn't deserve it. What if Jesus, walking this narrow path we just talked about, going to Calvary, said, I'm going to be spit upon, condemned, arrested, mocked, killed. What if Jesus would have said, God, I don't want to die on that cross for Mike because he doesn't deserve it. Could he rightfully have said that? Absolutely, because we don't deserve it. But that godly woman says, I don't, Be that wife God wants me to be because my husband deserves it. I be it because my Lord and Savior told me to. That husband says, I don't do it because my wife deserves it. She does deserve it. But I do it because Jesus set the example. I want to be like him. Here. You want to be the greatest? You be the servant of all. You be the slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. When is a ransom asked for? When somebody's life is in the balance, somebody's been kidnapped, they've been stolen, and the only way you can get them back, hopefully safe, is you pay a high price for their soul. Jesus Christ paid the ransom for you and me when it was captured by sin. And by the way, you know how much you're worth? Somebody probably put a ransom on me, about 25 bucks maybe, and they say, oh, that's too high. The Lord said, what would a man give in exchange for his soul? If a man offered the Lord all the world in exchange for his soul, would it be enough? No. You are so valuable, men, women, young people, whoever you are, that if you offered the whole world to God for your soul only, he'd say, no, your soul is more important than that. It's more valuable than that. That's too low of a price. You want to be the greatest? You be the servant of all. When I look to hire somebody in my office, I'm just being as transparent as I can. They may have guest talents. They may be able to do this on the computer. They may have relationship skills. They may have training. They may have education. They may have degrees. But I want to see whether they're ready to serve the church and to serve others and put others. And when I see that, I say, you got the job. Because it's not all about you. It's about others and about Jesus first. Was Jesus preaching, uh, practicing what he preached the servant of all, he took off his kingly robe and his rabbi's robe and he put on the towel of a servant and he washed the feet of those disciples. I don't know if you've ever done that before. I have. It's a humbling experience. But you know what was more humbling than me washing other people's feet? Them washing my feet. Oh, please don't. No, let me do that for you. But... And I remember some people said, no, no, no. I've got to. Jesus practiced what he preached many are first and they're going to be last There's gonna be some people I guarantee you die and think if they get to the pearly gates They're gonna say okay, God you can start now. I'm here They think that much of themselves The son of man the perfect example He came not to be served but to serve others to give his life a ransom for many, There are givers and takers in this world. You want to be great? You be a giver. You be a giver. Jesus is true greatness. Give me the widow that doesn't have very much, but she gives all she has. The mother that sacrifices to feed and clothe her children. You give me the man that works hard to provide for his family and has one uh, crisis right after another hit him, and it looks like he's never going to get ahead, but he keeps on because that's what a man is supposed to do. You give me a preacher of a small church that can't even afford to pay him, but he shows up every Sunday in old clothes because it's not about money. He is, he, he's going to preach the gospel to that church. You give me that guy. You give me, give me the janitor that cleans the halls in the school. You give me him. Give me her. You give me the little child that thinks about their brother and sister. You ever given a child a piece of candy and they say, I got five brothers, I got five sisters? because they're thinking about their brothers and sisters. The caregiver that takes care of a special needs child or their mom or dad or grandparents with dementia, I tell you, they're great. They're great. My aunt took care of my grandmother until two months before she was 100 years old in her home. She's a great woman. I want to read this verse, and then we'll close with a video. Matthew 18, 1 says this. Listen closely. At the time the disciples came to Jesus and said, Who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? They were always trying to figure out who's going to be first. And he called a child to himself and set him before them. You want to know what true greatness is? Jesus gave an answer. And said, Truly I say to you, unless you're converted and become like little children, you'll not enter the kingdom of heaven. I love that. Peter and James and John and Philip, you guys that are 12 apostles are going to sit on the 12 thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel someday. Well, that's an awesome thing. 12 men that turned the world upside down to carry the gospel to start the church. Awesome thing. But he said, I tell you what, if you're trying to worry about who's going to be the best one of you guys and who's the greatest, he took a little child and he put him right in the midst. Whoever then humbles himself as this child He said, you're not going to get to heaven unless you do it. But whoever does humble himself as his child. The professors that I had that I honor the most are not maybe the most intelligent. They've maybe not written the most books. They were the men and women that were so humble. They could have bragged about everything they knew, but they didn't. It was all about Jesus. Those are the people when I grow up, I want to be like. And Jesus said, Whoever then humbles himself as this child, he is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. So this week, you think about what true greatness is, not what the world says, it's the ones that God says. Help me out, Nate.
1: We have a big act of bravery now from a six-year-old who saved his little sister from a brutal dog attack. Here's Todd Battis with a boy named Bridger. Imagine the pain this boy must be in. Still, in no photo does Bridger Walker look sad or scared. When a dog charged his sister, he stepped in. It latched on him. There was surgery, 90 stitches, a black eye and swollen face. This is a message for Bridger. A shout-out came from none other than Captain America, actor Chris Evans. A big deal for a six-year-old who idolizes the Avengers. Pal, you're a hero. What you did was so brave, so selfless. Your sister is so lucky to have you as a big brother. The boy from Wyoming, often in Marvel character clothing, wears his scars like a badge of bravery. Evans, who plays a superhero, praised what was a real act of courage. I'm going to send you an authentic Captain America shield because, pal, you deserve it. Keep being the man you are. We need people like you. Bridger's instinct to protect his four-year-old sibling came less perhaps from watching superheroes than from his other passion. Come on, Bridger! He competes in martial arts and told his parents if someone was going to die, it wouldn't be his sister. And though the boy didn't want the dog hurt, its owners chose to put it down. His injuries will heal, the hurt will fade, and the legend of Bridger
0: Walker's heroism Take it to a will jiu-jitsu grow. Jiu-jitsu
1: Todd Battis, CTV News, Halifax.
0: If somebody was going to die that day, it wasn't going to be his sister. That's great. Let's pray. Father, thank you for all you do for us. And as they come to lead us in our closing hymn, wow, there's so much in that passage, Lord, that... When I look at myself, I'm so far from what uh, the example was, Jesus, you said. I think a whole lot too much of myself. Forgive me. And Jesus, as you ask the question, what do you want me to do for you? May it be for you, may it be for others. May it be like a child. True greatness. Jesus, you're the great one. Help us to walk in that path with you. In Jesus' name.